You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Ben, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's great to have you on the program today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to read something that you shared with me. After a 25-year military career of trying to create and lead my own ambitions and success, I felt a strong sense that I wanted God to lead whatever I would do next in life. I let go with a plan to take six months off and seek God's plan no matter what it was, and He did not disappoint. So, with that intro, please share a little bit about your backstory in the military, and then what was the point of transition after you got out, and what happened next? All right. I was in Florida going to college when I started my military career more out of compulsion because my dad said he wasn't going to pay for my degree unless I joined an ROTC program. (laughs) So I wasn't your typical person who joins the military with a fire in his belly to serve our nation in that way. But I grew through the ROTC program to realize that it is really a fantastic organization, a great sacrificial unselfish service to our nation, to what our founding fathers intended for this nation. And honestly, it's in line with Christ's belief that uh, in in the greatest sacrifice you could have, which is in love, to lay down your life for another. And I thought, you know, that's really what I'm doing here is I'm aligning my faith with where God has taken me in this military career. So I served 25 years in the Air Force. It was interesting to say the least. I try to describe it simply and and succinctly as it was like watching the movie Forrest Gump. I started out doing one thing. I ended up kind of diverting into other things. I did some things that don't even go along with where my career was supposed to take me. I I had a very non-traditional career. It started out flying as an electronic warfare officer on B-52s up in the northern peninsula of Michigan, which is not the same as Florida, if you know anything about American geography. It was the exact opposite and not what I was looking for, but it was a great place for me to kind of start my career. Then I transitioned down to uh, an Air Force base in Nebraska, where I spent the majority of the remainder of my flying career. In that flying career, I got to achieve what my ultimate goal in the military was, which was to travel the entire world as much as I could and see places and experience things I'd never experienced otherwise. And I got to do that. I went to the Middle East, Europe, all over Europe, the Asia Pacific region based out of Japan, but seeing and flying all over that region, all the way down to a small island in the Indian Ocean called Diego Garcia, which to me being from Florida was a tropical paradise. So I got to see the world in amazing ways. I even uh, at one point served in Pakistan for a year at the embassy in Islamabad, helping them with counterterrorism missions. Along the way, I had the opportunity to serve for about three years in the, not in, but with the White House as a presidential advance agent, helping out Air Force One to do all their advance work before the president would fly into different places. And that took me to Aqaba, Jordan for the first ever Red Sea Summit. And I thought, what in the world? This is amazing. I'm doing things I would never get to do otherwise. And then along the way, my career hit uh, a roadblock and, and something that seemed like, I'll just say it was an unexpected derailing of where my career was supposed to go. But God intervened in that and took me down a t- 
totally different path from that point on, which led me away from a traditional um, command of a squadron path to land in Afghanistan in the eastern mountains near Jalalabad city and the border with Pakistan, providing capacity building and provincial reconstruction and engaging with the locals. I was essentially like a governor of a state, but in Afghanistan. Wow. And I was helping them build their capacity, providing resources and funding, bringing all kinds of programs from education to economics, to budgeting, to construction, building government headquarters, you know, putting in district governments, which would be kind of like county uh, city halls or something like that. And it was just truly an amazing experience under fire against an enemy that didn't want us there. And I led a unit there of about 120 people that had Air Force, Army, Afghan, civilians from all over our government, all fused together to try and bring great effects to a region that was war-torn for decades and people in desperation. And it was truly amazing what we could do in such a short period of time to bring some stability and some hope to people who seemed hopeless at the time. So I got to do all those things, and I wrapped up my career in 2016 working at the Pentagon on strategies in the Afghanistan-Pakistan region on the Joint Staff. Let me circle back with that experience where God shifted the direction of your career to do what you just described. If you would, please share a moment in your mind that's indelibly etched there from that experience of God doing that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because there is more to that. So I had kind of been led to believe through some counsel from uh, mentors and senior leaders I was working for at the time that I was in line to be the next commander of the largest squadron on base. And in fact, the largest squadron in the Air Force at the time, that was a big deal. I thought, wow, I finally arrived. God, you've led me into a great place. But I was still way too much about myself and not really seeking the Lord to lead my path. I was pushing for kind of what I wanted. I was so discouraged when I was told that wasn't going to happen and I wasn't going to get command, not only of the largest, most prominent squadron at our base at the time, but I also wasn't going to get command at all at the base. It was so discouraging and disappointing. And I said, God, what have I done? Did I do something wrong here? But you know, the scripture that has kept coming back to me over time since then, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. And I had to just let go and fall into the arms of God. There were times I would come home at night, literally crying to be perfectly honest and and vulnerable with you, saying, God, I've come this far in my career. I'm at the pinnacle, and yet it's been snatched away from me for something I don't even perceive that I had any control over or influence over. This just doesn't seem fair. The problem was I was looking through worldly eyes and thinking I knew what God's plan was for me. Looking back, I knew he had a totally different plan, and I'm so thankful I just let go and let him lead the rest of the way. And opportunities came that I was told would never come, which was other command opportunities I could actually apply for. They had this weird rule in in the Air Force that once you miss command or turn down command, you don't get another opportunity. But for some reason, God had favor on me and led me to that, that command opportunity that also got me promoted when I shouldn't have gotten promoted. And so I moved on to the next rank and things started happening. I went to one of the most prominent senior officer education programs where all the generals or the, the generals in training expected generals get to go, which is National War College in Washington, D.C. That was a pipe dream along my career path. I would have never expected to be there. 
and through what turned out to be something that I perceived as the worst thing that could happen in your career, I ended up in the most prominent place with other people who now are generals in our military. Talk about the potential for influence, huh, Ben? Amen. Yeah. Wow. Amen. So you ended your career when? That was in 2016. I really felt like I was being called to step out and find what's next. So I said, you know, God, I'm tired of trying to lead my career in the way that it should go. I think it's time I let go. I feel the call to get out. I don't want to try and apply or put a priority system on what I think I should do next and try to talk to mentors or people who have influence to get me the job I'm hoping to get. I really just want to completely and totally surrender to you, take about six to nine months off. And financially, we had the ability to do that and just pursue you drive in deeper, hear your voice, seek your path, and whatever comes at whatever point, God, I'll pursue it if I know it's from you. So what was that experience like? How did it start off, Ben? Really, it was just a letting go, to be perfectly honest with you. We got back in late July, and I I had this chance encounter with a retired general that I knew in the Air Force who said, Hey, yeah, I'm I'm running for Congress back here in Nebraska. And I said, wow, that's great. I said, I haven't seen a whole lot of hope in Washington right now. So if there's anybody I think has a, a chance to make a difference, it's you. And you're about the only one I would probably trust right now in politics at the national level. So good luck to you. And he said, well, why don't you help me out while you're figuring out this six to nine month thing that God wants <laughs> you to do? And I said, yeah, okay. I don't know anything about it. I can't even spell politics, but why not? So I prayed about it, and I didn't feel like God was telling me not to get involved in that. In fact, I felt like he was saying, this guy needs help from people he can trust who aren't the establishment or the insiders who have something to gain from him. So why not go in there and serve him? He's a man of faith. And and within one week, I was working full-time as the deputy campaign manager, which, again, I don't know anything about politics, how a campaign works. But I think they liked something in what I was able to do for him on very short uh, timeframes and and short notice to be able to get some things done that maybe others didn't have the skills or the ability to do. And I learned from my military experience. So let me pause here and ask this, Ben. You encounter this gentleman, you decide to get involved in his campaign as the deputy manager. What was going on between you and your wife and the Lord in terms of (laughs) what he was impressing upon you? I'm curious. So my wife sees that I'm doing this, and I asked her permission to do it. I said, look, this is only going to be about four months from the August to November, maybe up to the beginning of December timeframe to get him through his election. I have no intentions of doing anything beyond that. I just want to help this guy out because he's a man of faith that we need more of in Washington, D.C. And she said, yeah, just please give us the holidays that we can spend together and don't get sucked in too far because you've been working so hard in the military and we've been looking forward to having you back. So there was a tough time there where I got, I really did. I got sucked into this thing because you don't have the kind of talent leadership that you need in a campaign because you don't have a budget to hire the kind of people who have that. So I think I kind of fell into their lap by divine appointment and pretty quickly they were able to leverage all the talent, skills, and abilities I had, but it also meant that I was kind of leaving my wife on hold as opposed to delivering on the promise that we were going to take time off, rekindle our marriage. 
looking back, she says it was a good thing. But at the time, she had to kind of go through some purging of herself and expectations Mm. to allow God to work through that. So in the midst of this, as you're head down working crazy hours in this campaign, what is it that you're hearing from the Lord with respect to this assignment that you felt called to do? It was... We don't have leaders of faith and good moral character in our nation's capital. We need them. And we need you, a man of faith who's praying for him, praying for this, praying for our nation to get involved and help make that a reality. And the the real quick end of the story is he wasn't winning in any of the polls. He was up against a Democrat. He's a Republican. He was up against a Democrat who had a 60% favorability rating in the district he was running in. And basically, he was not expected to win. We were working crazy, busy, hard weekends, days, nights, long, long days and nights. And he wasn't expected to win. We had people coming into the office. They were praying over us, with us. The church community rallied around him and us as we were doing this for what we knew was a godly purpose. And in the midst of that, he delivered a win that shouldn't have been a win. We called it the (laughs) David versus Goliath win because he shouldn't have won that. And no other Republican unseated a Democrat incumbent that year in Congress. Wow. Talk about affirmation and confirmation of that whole process, huh? Amen. And certainly not anything I ever saw coming. Even in the midst of that work, you didn't necessarily see that he could win. Is that what I'm hearing? I didn't. I really, I mean, you're looking at the polling that comes in, you're looking at indicators from the community, you're watching these debates, you're seeing him out in the community. If he tells the story after his first six months of running in the primary season for that office, he only had a name recognition of 9% in the district. (laughs) And he won because of what God did, honestly. There really was no reason. And I've said that through his reelection efforts is, he is kind of a Gideon leader Mm. who has a small team and does something miraculous. But when you look at it, it should have never happened. It should have never won when he defeated the Midianites with only 300 when he started with, I think it was 32,000 and God sifted it down to 300. He did that so that only God could get the credit for it. It wouldn't make sense in any other earthly, uh, you know, secular way. Yeah. Right on. Only God, only God. Only God. So you finished that campaign work, and then did you have the opportunity to actually spend some focused time just listening in on where God was going to take you next? I had thought I was just going to resume my six months off after uh, the win in late 2016. Mm -hmm. And what happened was they they said, well, we didn't know what to expect because none of us have ever been in Congress or you know, ran for Congress before, we're all new at this. So what they needed was they needed the campaign manager who was going to be the chief of staff and the congressional member elect, which is my boss now, to go to Washington, D.C. right after the election and except for holidays for Thanksgiving and Christmas, stay there and start training and building the team that they were going to need in their D.C. office. Mm-hmm. So that left me as kind of the highest ranking person in the in the hierarchy back in Nebraska with three campaign offices across our district open with people who we had hired on staff and a whole bunch of volunteers all going, what's going on? What do we do? I just said, guys, we need somebody to handle transition. You're going to need somebody to find a district office, 
start figuring out who we want to hire here in the district and kind of help you build your, your team. And they said, we want you to be the district director. I said, well, I can't even spell district director. I'm still trying to learn how this stuff all works. And they said, you're the kind of guy who goes to Afghanistan to lead a team that's never really been formed or led before to do a mission that nobody really knows how to do. So here's here's part two of that story of why was I derailed in my career? Why was I mm. uh, put on that other path? Why did I end up getting that opportunity in Afghanistan in one of the most unfamiliar, uncertain, build a team, get out into the community, engage with them, figure out the needs and find solutions to them that bring stability and confidence. Incredible. That's the same thing I was doing in this role. And I went, wow, God, I totally see what you're doing now. One of the ways you said this impacted your life, this whole transition, was that you went from being a passive, every Sunday kind of a faith guy to active pursuit of God and trust in Him. Help me understand that. I felt like the more I surrendered, the more I just let God lead and listened for His voice, the more things moved in a direction that led me to know what to do. And then whatever I was doing was typically prospering and bearing a lot of fruit. And I went, wow, God, this really is amazing. I love it when you lead. And it really started accelerating in 2020, in late mid to late February, when everything started happening with the coronavirus. And I was really sensing God saying, prepare, get ready. Something's going to happen here. And pretty quickly, I heard people on the team uh, who aren't necessarily people of faith saying, hey, everybody's shutting down. I think we should shut down too. And I said, no, we're not going to do that even if we just sit here and wait for what God has for us. And pretty quickly, it became apparent, and thinking of this through a campaign kind of mindset, is we need to get out in the community and do something that's being seen as helping and not fearing. Mm -hmm. So I got the campaign team, and I really felt God was telling me this, is go be my hands and feet in the community. Wear your campaign gear but don't make it about politics. Don't make it about anything else. Just go and be love and help in the community. So we went into the two parts of our community where the impacts were felt the most of the shutdowns. And we started serving in about four different food banks. And we just got involved. And I said, we're going to start getting out there. We took the congressman out there because really everything else had been shut down. Nobody was meeting. So we had this open calendar and what can we really do with this? And suddenly we had access roads and inroads throughout the campaign that were never there before because we were just out being God's hands and feet mm -hmm. and loving people. And I thought, wow, that really is you, God, because everybody else was saying shut down. The opponents that were running against him all shut down. They all, you know, and, and rightfully so, I think in a secular way, everybody said, look, we got to do our part to stay safe and not be part of the, the spreading of this thing. And really, I, I'm pretty sure no one in our office actually contracted the COVID virus as a result of anything we were doing. There were some people who thought they might have had it. They went and got tested. They ended up negative. We got them back into the office doing things. But God just anointed that time. So we do those things. And then later on, it, it leads to you know an election victory that in 2020 ended up being the greatest margin of victory they've had in over a decade in that particular congressional district, which is pretty much split 50-50. Mm. And we got an, a more than five-point win, a 5% win, which was greater than any of the others in recent history. And I thought, God, you're doing something amazing here. As you survey the process you've gone through now, from the time you've left the military, what are the takeaways that you share with people now about that faith walk 
So I said, well, maybe I'm supposed to just start a monthly gathering and prayer group to get us through this COVID. And so I did that. And it's been going ever since. And someone in the group at one point had said, when are we going to stop doing this? Do you have a timeline for what God's telling you? And I said, so long as people keep coming, we keep doing it. And we've been growing and there's been opportunities uh, to expand. And we now go to a church instead of the campaign office that has a larger venue. And uh, we've had as many as 40, 50 people come. And they are people of faith, people who are hungry to gather, people who want to pray for our nation, our world. We've gained focus in that time. Second Chronicles 714 that talks about what we should do when times are tough, when the heavens are uh, cut off and the blessings aren't flowing. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and repent of their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Mm. And that became the scripture after a couple of those meetings that seemed to emerge as what we need to do and what we need to focus on. So we've been working over time to make sure we are people who are adhering to that being humble, not being about ourselves, but being about the Lord, his kingdom, and others. Finding out what love really is, because love is the most unselfish act that there is because it is the essence of God. Mm-hmm. God is love. And so if we want to become like him, we have to get rid of self, which gets back to the point of surrender. And so then, you know, humbling ourselves, we pray every Friday morning on Zoom, we pray, and then we gather once a month on the third day of the month to pray. And then we're seeking his face through worship and praise because he inhabits the praises of his people. And where two or more are gathered, he's in their midst. And then we add to that fasting because fasting is sacrificing our flesh for what God wants to do with us. And so we've been working on fasting as well. And I'll just make a point that throughout this process, last Easter, all the way through the election, God called me to do a series of three-day fasts of water only. Each time he told me what that fast was, not always before I started, and each time something broke loose in the spiritual because I did that. And now we're getting to a point where we're going to do another one this Easter season to push into God, to seek his face, to get closer to him. And as we did these things, we started hearing more from God. His voice got louder. More people in the group started hearing the same things through different avenues to confirm what we were all hearing together. And now we've heard so much about what's going on in our world, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to get involved. Mm -hmm. We're now leading groups that are educating other people coming in saying, what do I do? Give me, if you would, please, an example of one of the specific instances where you finished a three-day fast and something broke loose. Wow, this might get a little emotional. So the last one that I did, I started the fast, not knowing why I was doing it. I just knew I needed to do another one. Mm -hmm. So I started doing it. And after two days of, for me, they they are a bit physically taxing to get to the third day where my body finally settles into, you're not going to get any food. So just get over it. (laughs) And I'm weaker, but I'm I'm much more at peace with my physical body. It's been kind of brought under under, uh, subjection of of the Lord Mm -hmm. and the spirit. So I got to that point and I was just praying that third day and it just dropped in my spirit that I was praying to loose some demonic forces that have been on one of my children for a long time and to bring about a reconciliation with her. 
and to bring us together again. And I noticed that very shortly after that fast, a door was open. My daughter had a a totally different personality about her, and she was seeking to get together with us, whereas we were kind of held at a distance. And it just seemed kind of frustrating for us as parents that we couldn't get into her life and be part of her life. And that has been continuing ever since. I could see the spiritual difference in her and in our access and our relationship with her because I was fasting for that. I have experienced similar results in just obeying when the Lord says, I want you to fast. And invariably, to your point, once my flesh stops whining and says, okay, (laughs) I I give up, you go ahead and just don't eat. (laughs) It's amazing to me the power of what occurs. There are things that get aligned. There are things that break off. To your point, relationship things. And the thing about this is it's truly an act of faith where the Holy Spirit will say, I want you to fast. Your flesh is like, oh, no. You say, yeah, we're going to do this. But you know that if you do this, you don't have to know why. And oftentimes, we never find out why. Yeah. And and now that I've seen that happen, honestly, I don't I don't want or need to know why. It certainly is a, a joy to share the testimony because we know we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So if he wants to give me that testimony, I want to share it. But yeah. if he doesn't, I know he's doing things with it because he's proven that time and time again. That's the faith walk, isn't it, Ben? Let go and let God isn't just a, a phrase or a saying. How have you found in your life the best way to defeat fear and overcome the enemy? Well, think of it like a little child. If a child is by themselves lost somewhere, they might realize they don't have the security of their parent and they get fearful and scared. They cry. They might cower in a corner. But as soon as that parent is back there with them, they're so excited to see them and they just open back up and it's like, oh, there you are. I thought I had lost you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the same thing with what we've been trying to do and what I've been sensing about how do I get close to God. How do I get there? Because we know through scripture, but maybe not everybody who is listening knows the scriptures in these ways, that the that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. So we have to push into him. We have to connect with him like a little child who says, God, help me through this. I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't want to be afraid. And I know you don't give me that fear. I know that comes from the enemy. So we have to pray against the enemy. It says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. So we have to resist him. We have to draw close to God. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So we have to do that. And it's a purposeful thing. It's not, uh, I go to church on Sundays and I pray over our meals every night. That is certainly good things that keep us in connection with God. Those steps that I mentioned in 2 Chronicles 7.14 are important steps that are the foundation, and there's more to it than that, but those are kind of the framework God gives us. And as we pray and we humble and we resist the enemy and we repent of what we've done, he enters in there and we hear his voice. We are now closer to him. The distractions and the noise of this world get so loud. We get so busy in our lives that we don't really make time to hear God, so we miss it. I usually recite Psalms 23. I've memorized that years ago. And it says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil 
for you are with me. And I believe that's what the essence of what I'm I'm saying as an answer to your question is, is if I know he's with me, if I pursue keeping him close and staying close to him, I don't have to fear anything. You know, that word pursuit is yeah. so important. I was speaking with somebody the other day, and it's almost as if with all the social media and the point you were making, TV, all these other distractions, all of that is passively receiving. And we are conditioned to passively receive content, but it's the opposite. Yes. You have to flip that model 180 degrees. It's a pursuit. <laughs> it is literally a pursuit of God. It's not a passive yes. sitting in the chair. Now, work on me, God. Listening is a totally different deal. But in terms of following the Lord, that is not a passive activity. Once again, you've brought up something that triggers something God's doing in my life. And it's the story in the Bible about the man who looks in the mirror and he sees his reflection, but then he turns away and he forgets what he looks like. Don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And I think that's the scripture and the story that goes hand in hand with what you're getting at is we can't just be the people who go and passively hear we have to go do and take action and pursue so that we're not like the man in the mirror who forgets what his reflection is like when he walks away. Just a small step. God graciously meets us in that step. Amen. And does so much more than we can imagine. It says he's standing at the door knocking. If we'll just open up the door, he will come in and we can commune with him. So he's there always wanting to be with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So really, that gets back to, are we the ones leaving and forsaking him? On that note, I'd love for you to pray for our listeners as we finish up, please. I'd love to. Father, I thank you for divine appointment. This was clearly ordained by you and confirmed through numerous things. I know there's people out there that will hear this. And Father, I just pray that they would get encouragement, whether it's overcoming fear or whether it's not hearing God's voice. Father, would you just speak through this opportunity and what's been shared here to impact lives, to give answers, to bring comfort when it's the darkest out, the dimmest lights shine the brightest. And we are those lights out there that are sharing your love, your hope with people, your answers and sharing what you're telling us and showing us. And now's the time when your voice through each of us can resonate louder than it ever has in our lifetime. Father, would you use us as your hands and feet to go forth and to speak words that bring life and give hope, that shed fear and give comfort, Father. There's people hurting, but bring the comfort through your hands and feet, which is us and the church and others. Help us to find the right people through divine appointment as you did with this podcast and meet people where they are, Father. May your message go forward to as many people as possible and resonate through us and others who hear your voice in mm. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Ben, for being on the podcast. It was great talking with you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me and thanks for following what God is telling you to do. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.